It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Podcast Network, I'm Dana Perino, and everything will be okay. Welcome back to another episode of Everything Will Be Okay. This week, I'm joined by the Chief Executive Officer of the Alpha Corporation, a woman-owned multidisciplinary construction consulting firm that provides technological engineering and program management resources. Kate Lindsay has been the CEO of the Alpha Corporation for almost a decade. Under Kate's leadership, the company has remained one of the top 100 civil engineering and project management firms in the country. After taking over the company later in her life, Kate's success is proof that the second act of your career can be just as extraordinary as the first. Kate Lindsay, thank you for being with us. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. Great. So, Kate, I'd like to start off by just giving people a sense of who you are. Um, Where did you grow up? Uh, What was your early childhood like? I had a terrific childhood. I grew up in Montclair, New Jersey. Uh, I went to prep school and then I went to college in Florida. I wanted to be a tennis player, but that didn't quite pan out as I'd hoped. But I then uh, graduated in 76 and ended up in New York City. Uh, I worked at Morgan Stanley for four years and then came to Washington, D.C. when I got married and started work at American Security Bank as a foreign currency and short-term investment trader and loved it, but started my family. And when I had my first son, I decided I really wanted a more balanced life. So I left investment banking and became the CFO at a school, uh, a job I thought I'd do Well, temporarily, I stayed 25 years at the same school, loved it, and uh, and then moved to New York to a second school um, and at the Hewitt School and then came back to Washington when my husband became quite ill and he uh, died in 2013. And that resulted in me um, inheriting Alpha Corporation. It's really an incredible story. We're going to get to all of it. And um I think one of the most important things about this third season of the Everything Will Be Okay podcast is talking to people like yourself who might have been on one career track and then found themselves suddenly in a very different situation, but making that successful as well. Um, Let's go back just a little bit, though. So how many children do you have? I have two sons. Uh, and I remarried and, and I have three stepchildren. Yeah. So five total. One son is married. Uh, the other is not. And none of the stepkids are married yet. So it's a brood. <laughs> you do. You have one. And you and I got to know each other more recently. It's always fun when you have friends who will say, you know, I really think you would love Kate. And we finally got together and she was right. I am honored to know you and um, I'm excited to have you on the podcast today. Well, I'm delighted because I think we have quite a bit in common because we both married Brits. That's true. So, and actually, know. one of the things that's amazing about your husband, Eamon, is that 
He is funnier than Peter. And people who have listened to this podcast for years know that Peter's pretty funny. But when Eamon had Peter laughing so hard, and I thought, oh, my gosh, he's funnier yeah. than Peter. And yeah, he's delightful. a sense of I'm humor makes well. a big difference. Um, okay, so your husband started Alpha Corporation. Is that correct? He or, did. Okay, he, he started did. it. He started Alpha with four other men in 1979. And over the course of the first 30 years, a couple of the men went on to start their own firm, and my husband bought out the balance of the partners, so he owned 100% of the company when he died. And uh, he had given 15% to someone who was a long-term employee, and I bought that person out, so I own 100% of the company. Tell us about uh, Alpha Corporation. Yeah. What do you do? Uh, we're uh, a very dynamic, uh, middle, mid-sized civil and structural engineering firm that really focuses in on large infrastructure projects and uh, embassy work and large renovations and restorations of National Park Service projects. So some of the work we've done are things like the restoration of the arches in St. Louis, the elevator in the Washington Monument, the restoration of Lincoln Memorial, and the most recent project we've done is building the uh, United States Park Service stables that are used on the National Mall for all of the horses. And so we've done um, everything from Amazon to the Beirut Embassy. So we've done a broad cross-section of work. We've been instrumental in doing a number of airports. Some have been better projects than others. Um, if anybody's been to the Miami airport, they know what a challenge that airport can be. We've worked on that project for 11 years. So it's a, a company that does a diverse type of civil and structural work, project management, cost estimating, pre-construction type reviews, a lot of different type of engineering. And it's now um, owned by me, but it's run uh, predominantly with a team of women. I want to get to that because it's amazing. Like those, those are huge projects, and yeah, they are. Project management of just one project is a lot. Anybody who's ever just remodeled a bathroom knows that that is a little bit frustrating. So, what's interesting is to me is your path was in finance, and then all of a sudden you find yourself inheriting this firm. Do you mind telling me a little bit about? You know, the, your your husband's illness, your your first husband's yeah. illness, and and nursing yeah. him through that. And did you realize while you were going through that that you were going to take over the company? Uh, I uh, my husband was diagnosed in 2011. The first appointment after his initial doctor's visit, uh, the doctor sat down and basically said. Mr. Lindsay, I hope you have your affairs in order because you don't have any more than 18 months to live. So it was not until that moment that I ever thought that I'd end up with an engineering firm as my next career path. But my husband was a fighter and he lived an extra year. I uh, lived two and a half years. And during the course of that time, spent a great deal of time and energy with me. Uh, kind of walking me through the mechanics of what the jobs were that we were doing at the time, who uh, the players were within the company, kind of all the company politics, so I wouldn't be blindsided 
And he also knew that my experience was not going to be as an engineer, it was going to be as a manager. And so he counted on the fact that I had extensive management experience and would be able to navigate the job content through the professionals that he had hired. And frankly, when he died, which always is a surprise to anybody who loses their spouse, I was only 57 and I was quite shocked, if the truth be known, uh, because he was such a warrior, I never thought he would die. And fortunately for me, the people around me in the industry uh, with whom I had had a relationship working as their investment advisor when I'd been at the bank, I called on and asked for their help. Predominantly men, not entirely, but I sat down and I said, look, I really need your help here. Will you help me do this? And frankly, all of them um, stepped up to the plate and made the transition for me as seamless as it could be under the circumstances. I was very fortunate to have a number of mentors within the construction and engineering industry that were prepared to support me. It's really remarkable. Did you ever think about not doing it? Yeah. The first few years, I loved my job. I was quite good at what I did in education. And uh, and I was quite well known in education. And so I didn't really want to give it up. So I delegated to the person that my husband had given the 15% to. And ultimately, it became clear to me that it was time to really transition the company more into the 21st century. And so I made a decision to leave education and go into, I, I had one year, about 18 months where Sidwell was very gracious and allowed me to have half time at Sidwell and half time at uh, Alpha. And I made the transition to go full time to Alpha when I realized that they were prepared to have a non-engineer as their leader. And so I took the to the company by the reins and uh, started the process of transitioning it to a more 21st century company. Let's put it that way. We'll be right back with more of this interview right after this. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie 
your trusted ally in home services. How old were your two children when your first husband passed? My younger son was in college, just finishing up. Um, It was very hard on him. He was 19 when my husband was diagnosed. And my other son was 26 when my husband was diagnosed. And my they were 22 and 28 when my husband died. Mm-hmm. So they, they're very different from each other. But both of them um, work with Alpha. My older son is a scheduler and an estimator for Alpha. My younger son has his own company in addition to working as the thought leader, really, for Alpha. And so they both have been very active in the company, though neither one of them wants to take it over. Um, which makes retirement almost impossible. (laughs) Oh, yeah, (laughs) indeed. Um, So I want to hear about your decision-making on who you hired to help run the company. You mentioned that it's almost an entire team led by women. And was that a conscious choice and why? Well, the short answer is that I, I wanted to put the best team in place that I could. And I recognized that I am only one of two women-owned engineering firms in the top 50 in the country. So if I were going to hire a president who was a woman, who would? And so I, but I was prepared to hire a man if the male candidate was stronger than the female candidate. I put, I hired a recruiter. I was quite specific about what I was seeking. And at the end of the day, he came back with four finalists, three women, one man. And I interviewed them. I had the team interview them. And head and shoulders above the group was Kathleen Lynham, who is the current president of the company. Uh, She came to me from Jacobs Engineering, which is a very highly respected firm. She had been with a different firm that had been bought by Jacobs. And uh, and so I wanted her to put into place a team that she would feel would strengthen not only um, the perception of women in the industry, which frankly is unfortunately pretty uh, abysmal, and also give opportunities to break the glass ceiling to other people. So the... Um, the top team in the company is by and large women. It, the president's a woman. The COO, Laura Hagler, is a woman. The uh, CFO, Michelle Parker, is a woman. Uh, the only man in the top of the team uh, that is in the management team is the firm's lawyer who's been there over 20 years. Do you think that they manage in any different way, lead or manage in any different way, or are they just simply the best person for the job? I think that there's two halves to engineering. There's the the management side of it, and then there's the technical side. One of the things I knew was that the person who was the president of the company had to be a professional engineer, that you can only use management uh, so far in terms of actually leading a company. And I was the only one in the company in the top tier who's not a PE. And as a C plus math student, I would never be a professional engineer. But the reality is that it was important to have the technical skills and the resume, which she brings to the table, both she and Lara. And we also hired the number one 
uh, lieutenant colonel out of the Corps of Engineers who recently retired, who is also a woman and who is nationally recognized within the Corps of Engineers as one of the strongest women PEs in the industry. So it having the skill set, the technical skills to sit down with the guys on the team and walk through what they're working on is a skill that you need to have in a leadership role. But as someone who runs the company, ironically, I kind of run it like I did the schools. It's it to me being in a firm is being part of a community of people. So there's a humanity factor. I think I brought to the job that's somewhat unfamiliar to a lot of people in the industry. You know, I care about the people who work for me in a different way than I suspect most CEOs do because I've lived a different life than most of them. So I'm much more aware of, of what the personal side of their lives should be, Mm. you know, and I, and I also spend quite a bit of time ensuring that the women in the firm feel both supported and that there is a future for them, both with alpha and with other companies, should they choose to move up the food chain someplace else. And that would include, I imagine, the work-life balance question? Yes. And I am big on that. Um, and I, it's, we just had a conference of the women in the firm, and we talked a great deal about what women should know about, what they should think about when it comes to their family. And this is something you and I talked about, which is a lot of women don't have wills, they don't have power of attorney, they don't have adequate life insurance where something to happen to them. They don't recognize that life insurance is portable at most jobs and they can take it with them and keep you know, the policy in place. They don't provide their husbands with information about who the teacher is at school or who the children's friends are and what their telephone numbers are. They don't really think about it because they're working all the time. And one of the things I was very clear about is those are important aspects of your work-life balance, and you need to pay attention to them. So maybe we could expand on that a little bit. When you and I were talking about the conferences that you host or the summits that you do with the women of the firm, um, there was a young woman who I understand she raised her hand and she had a question for you. And she said, you know, what advice would you have for me? And you were very blunt, and I'd love for you to explain a little bit more about it. And you said you should increase your life insurance. And that is advice that no one on this podcast or that I've ever talked to before has ever mentioned. Yeah, it's really remarkable. You know, the, the significant number of women who will get breast cancer in America get it in their late 30s, 40s, and early 50s. And... And unfortunately, I mean, now the death rate is in the 60s, really. But there are a lot of women who don't recognize that that their medical well-being puts their family at risk. And by that, I mean most firms, including mine, have two times salary or some number that covers their life insurance. So if you're a typical employee and you're making 100000 you have $200,000 worth of life insurance. If something were to happen to one of the women in the company who's got three, four, and five-year-old children. They have childcare expenses. They have college out in front of them. They have medical expenses that they can't foresee, and they are inadequately insured. And so when I, she asked me, and she has two small kids, I said to her, if you don't have half a million dollars worth of life insurance, term life insurance, you're underinsured. And she said, well, 
what? <laughs> and, and I said to her, think about what it costs. A typical college education now is almost $100,000 a year. How would your husband be able to afford it on his salary alone if, you're, if, you, if something happened to you? And so it, it's remarkable how often we don't think about what would happen if something happened. And I think, you know, there by the grace of God, my husband was very smart about protecting his family uh, with insurance. But most women don't think about it, and it's something that they really should think about. And they should also have a will so that it doesn't go to the state. Mm-hmm. But most women don't have a will. If they're under 35, most women don't have a will, even though they might have children. So when she asked me, those are the two things I told her. You need to have a will and you need to have a lot of life insurance. <laughs> it's fascinating. And I think for people listening, maybe you don't have a will or you're underinsured or this conversation feels like something that isn't, doesn't apply to you. But you know, Kate's here to tell you it does. And it matters. You never know when something is going to happen to you or to your spouse or your partner. And make a commitment to yourself that, you know, make it reasonable and say, by May 30th, I will have a will. Uh, by April 15th, I will call the Human Resources Department and ask about life insurance. Um, Kate, what about for some for somebody who might be working in what we would call the gig economy now, who doesn't have a um, one employer per se, but is self-employed? Obviously, they need to have life insurance too. Who's the best person yeah, to call on that? It's relatively easy. There are a million independent brokers who do life insurance out there, and they're happy to help you. If you're healthy and you're under 40, Getting half a million dollars worth of life insurance is incredibly cheap. It is unbelievably cheap. And it's, you know, you can get it for a couple hundred dollars a year. So it's cheaper than your car insurance. And it's a lifetime benefit. It protects your family. And that's really one of the things that I'm very conscious of, is that women in particular need to recognize that they, it, they could step off a curb and be hit by a car. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be illness. It could be a fluke accident. And you just need to know that there are loads of independent brokers out there. Almost every uh, financial institution in the world will give you insurance. And there's, you know, there's term insurance, which for young people is the smartest way to go because it's very cheap. You know, there's there's the whole life, which gives you a credit. I've never kind of espoused whole life because it's considerably more expensive. But there are people who choose to do that mm-hmm. because it has an equity component to it. But when you're young, term insurance is the way to go because it's incredibly cheap. And also you can pick up hospital coverage and supplemental cancer programs. And and they're very cheap and they subsidize what your health insurance premiums at work if you're an independent don't cover. More to come right after this. I wanted to maybe switch gears a little bit. You are the mother of boys, and you are leading a company where you intentionally look for women to be the leaders of yep. the firm. And yep. and I'm a big proponent of um, you know, everybody succeeding. And, of course, a lot of my work has been focused on young women because typically they are the ones who come to me for advice. But more and more, I am hearing from more young men who are at least willing to raise their hand and say, I could use a little advice over here. Um, 
<laughs> and we as a society, and at least in America, have really focused on women over the last few decades. But ha- has that been at the expense of boys and education? If you could maybe put your educator hat on as also somebody who's leading in an industry where you need a lot of STEM education. Right. It's been an interesting journey. I had this conversation this morning with my husband. It, it, it is true, statistically, that girls do better in math in second through fifth grade. I'm not actually sure why that is, but statistically, it's true. What tends to happen in high school, and I'm actually not sure why this is the case, is that um, high school teachers, math teachers in particular, have historically um, promoted men into the more difficult math classes. That is changing quite a bit. It's now about 50-50. But in terms of understanding something like engineering, uh, you know, when you look at STEM, it's easy to know what being a doctor is going to look like. It's easy to understand what technic, you know, the people who are going to technology are going to be doing. But it's really hard to understand in high school what civil and structural engineers actually do. And so it's it's not a career path that tends to lend itself easily to women or men. But 20% of college graduates in engineering are women, and 40% of them leave the industry within two years. So it's still a, a predominantly male-driven uh, industry, and it's a, it's one that has acute shortages. Every firm I know is looking for people mm-hmm. because technology um, has kind of taken over in terms of the interest level that people have in engineering. It shifted out of civil and structural into technology and mechanical and industrial. Will so it's a AI. Place. Will AI change a lot for your industry? Um. I think it has already. There are some very dynamic companies that are collaborating with Alpha. One's called Ocular that actually does um, a three-dimensional review of space. When we go into a property to determine the scheduling and what has to be done, having Ocular come in, it can actually show you and show a potential owner, what the project's going to look like two months, three months, six months, nine months, 12 months down the road. Mm. It helps us with scheduling and cost estimating. It's, it's a fantastic collaboration. The other collaboration that's happening is the aggregation of information so that a variety of different types of trades are now pouring their information into technology so that when cost estimating is done based on where you live and what you need, how quickly you can get materials, how readily available they are and what the cost is, is becoming something that's become readily available through technology. So it's actually helped the industry a lot. So you are a techno-optimist. I am. I am. I don't think it's going to eliminate jobs because you always need people going out onto job sites and actually seeing how the progress is going and whether the job's on schedule or not. There are always interruptions. I mean, remarkably in the United States, I think there are only six large steel manufacturers. So you have to have your steel cut months ahead of when you need it on a job. Wow. So it's those types of things that you, you learn. And as somebody who came out of education and who's done 
a lot of construction in education. I've seen the success and some hiccups with trying to do construction over relatively compressed schedules in the summer because schools always do their construction in the summer. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I, I want to go to some maybe lightning round questions. Um, I do okay. this thing called short questions with Dana Perino, but this is a podcast, so you could answer as long as you want. Um, <laughs> what's your favorite thing about the work that you do today? Uh, the interaction with people. We have done a lot of different types of projects, working with architects, working with owners. Uh, the enjoyment is actually being uh, engaged on a project and seeing it from the very beginning, like the stables project, all the way through to the ribbon cutting, which is March 15th. Are you a proponent of working in the office or remote work? <laughs> what do you, what do you, or are you struggling with this as everybody else is? Uh, we have a, a pretty flexible situation. We, we have everyone in Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, I, there are a lot of people who would love to work remotely, but the collaboration and the, and the kind of troubleshooting that can happen face-to-face -face around a table can't be replicated online. And so most of our folks, frankly, are in the field. So we want them to come into the office so that they become part of the alpha community. Mm -hmm. But uh, I would say I'm, I'm a proponent of a hybrid. Okay. How did you make your first dollar? <laughs> My first dollar was made babysitting. Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of the job from hell, if the truth be known, <laughs> depending upon the type of kids you have. <laughs> under your tutelage. But the but the fact of the matter is I worked as a summer um, when I was 17 and had just gotten my driver's license. I worked for a lovely couple and their two kids out in the Hamptons. Through Ann Andrews, I got a job as a summer mother's helper. And I loved it and I couldn't wait to come home. <laughs> You've had a chance to travel so widely all around the world. Um, if I told you that Tomorrow, I'd give you a ticket to anywhere to go visit. Where would it be? Would it be a place you've already been or someplace you've never gone before? I think it would be Australia. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it, it's a place that I hear so much about. I have a lot of friends who have come from Australia, who have lived in Australia, who have worked in Australia. And they say to me, if you don't get to Melbourne and Sydney, you're crazy. Mm. You got to go. The people That's so are funny because Peter has been, has this friend who's having a significant birthday next January. And for the last decade, Peter has been telling me in January of 2024, we must go to Australia for this birthday. And I have not been uh, enthusiastic about it because it's so far and it's so much time off and it'll be right at the beginning of a presidential election cycle. And I have 20 reasons that um, I could say no. And, of course, everyone who loves Peter is like, why are you being such a brat? Of course you're going. Um, and I need, But I, maybe I needed to hear that today, that, that those are the two places you need to see, which are the two places we would go. Oh, and also Adelaide. That was another one. Yeah. And you should puddle hop. My, my husband, who who's had offices in Australia and Melbourne and Sydney and, uh, uh, and Dubai, where he lived for several years, my current husband, says stop at, in Dubai for 48 hours. That's all you need there. And then go down to Australia. Make it a 
loop down because you'll never go back to Dubai. You have no reason to go back unless you've been there before. And he said that way you feel like you got your money's worth of the flight. But it's also summer in the winter, so it's an yeah. Peter's right. It's yeah. the ideal time yeah. to go to Australia. All right. Well, I guess, okay, well, that solves that. Peter wins once again. <laughs> Sorry. Um, what is the greatest lesson you have learned so far in your life? Uh, I, I think my friend Nancy Califano said it best. Your life isn't a dress rehearsal for something else. So what I learned with my husband dying really young is grab hold of your life, enjoy your life, and really have fun. Don't make, don't make some of the decisions a lot of people make that your career is your whole life, that you, know, you, you have to prove something. Really enjoy your life because you only get one shot at it and you never know how long it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And that's, that, that would be, when she said to me, your life isn't a dress rehearsal for something else, she's absolutely right. What brings you the greatest joy or how do you have fun? Well, you'd think it would be renovating this house, but that has been the joy that I had hoped it would <laughs> um, No, I enjoy sports. I play tennis. I enjoy swimming. Um, I do enjoy traveling. Um, my current husband is big uh kind of historian type and he makes traveling an adventure yeah so i and you're right he's very funny so we've gone and stayed in just ghastly spots and (laughs) and thoroughly enjoyed it so those are the three things i would say great could you name three adjectives your friends or family would use to describe yourself (laughs) um uh i would say uh, kind, um, pretty open-minded, uh, and funny. Yeah. I would, I would say yes to all of those for sure. <laughs> if you could change anything about the current state of the world, what would it be? If you had one thing you could change? Um, I think that we need to find a way to get back to civil discourse. Mm-hmm. I'm so discouraged about um, the sense that uh, that when you have a point of view, if it doesn't agree with your neighbor, somehow you're either stupid or wrong. And uh, the sense of the lack of willingness to be open-minded and to really think through what somebody's perspective is, is something I'd really love to see us be able to get back to. Yeah, It's been really kind of shocking to me. It's upsetting. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's distressing that we've come to a place where if you're a Republican or a Democrat, you you almost can't sit at the same dinner table. Mm-hmm. And it seems bizarre because this is a relatively recent phenomenon that I think can be reversed if people just recognize that everybody's going to be wrong half the time, <laughs> you know, and uh, and I hope that we start to see a trend back to the kind of sense of humanity in conversations that we had with George Bush or even, you know, Bill Clinton who crossed the aisle comfortably Mm -hmm. and had really good conversations with people. I just think that, that it's overdue and I think it needs to happen soon because it's really gotten unbelievable. Yep. And we all have responsibility for it. 
Um, yeah, and we all have an ability to change it. Yep, I agree. I agree. Uh, what do you think every manager should ask in a job interview? Uh, the best question I was taught to ask was to say to the candidate, I've given you the job. You're in it for five years. I'm sitting down to have your fifth year review. What would you say are your four most successful accomplishments? Because it does a couple of things. It tells you whether or not the candidate paid attention to what the job actually is. It says what type of uh, individual responsibility they take for their own success. And um, it allows you to really see kind of into their personality. And it's been a very successful question for me. You got the job. So tell me in the review five years from now, what have you done? That, that warrants me giving you a promotion. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's a good one. I love that. Okay, well, you kind of alluded to it earlier, but when do you plan to retire, Kate? <laughs> well, I don't work full-time. I try not to work full-time um, because I have other responsibilities with my new family and uh, my husband. I enjoy working. I'm not sure... I will ever give it up 100%. Um, I have an incredibly good board now for the company. Uh, I'm sure they'll tell me when it's time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, At least I hope they will. Uh, Because they're all uh, the quintessential professionals. I have two investment bankers, three engineers, two lawyers. And, uh, you know, so I have a a really great cross-section of individuals who I think will say to me, you know, Kate, because I am heading to my 70th birthday, Dana, that it would be uh, smart for you to send a signal that that there's going to be a transition and a handing over to the guard. But I also wanted to make sure that the company was in a position where um, it was strong enough to withstand the absence of my leadership, which probably means tomorrow. <laughs> um, my last question. I'm a beginner tennis player, although I've been yeah. taking lessons since 2015, 2016, 2015. Um, Nico last year at the Yacht Club said, I was most improved, but he only told that to me. Maybe he told that, so that said that to everyone, <laughs> but I needed a lot of improvement. But now that we're looking at spring, it's, it's ahead of us. What's your best advice for getting back into the swing of things? Like, how do you warm back up after a winter? Well, I... Um, I just get out on the court. I'm, I'm now playing doubles. I never used to play doubles. I only used to play singles. And I have this um, breathing thing that makes playing singles now almost impossible. But I really enjoy playing short court tennis. And so you also should start at playing for half an hour instead of an hour. I mean, I used to play for eight hours a day in the summer. And so I, it was my entire summer um, schedule. But now I'd like to start at a half an hour, go to 45 minutes, go to an hour, and then go to an hour and a half so that it's progressive. Because if you start at an hour and a half, you're so stiff by the, <laughs> at the end of the play. <laughs> All right, that that's good advice. You know, that would be my advice. Start slowly and build up. That's really good advice. The other thing is if you ever want a doubles partner, um, I'm terrible at tennis, but I'm really, really good at getting out of the way. 
<laughs> well, the two of us will be out of the way, and we'll, we should definitely play. <laughs> Kate, thank you so much for your time. We'll let you get back to your all of your responsibilities that you um, handle so gracefully and, um, and with such dignity, and we appreciate you being on the podcast. Thanks so much. You're welcome, and it was lovely to talk to you. I find Kate to be fascinating and her advice is so unique and important. And I hope that all of us really heed it, especially when it comes to looking at the life insurance that you have for you and your family. Make sure you subscribe to this series wherever you download podcasts and leave a rating and review. I'm Dana Perino. Everything will be okay. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to Fox News Podcast shows ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or follow wherever you get your podcasts.